0: We're talking about in Luke chapter twenty one, we're in verses eight to twenty four. We're not going to make it through all of that today. We're just going we're going to read through it, but for the for the background, for the setting and discussion, we're going to read through this, but as we do, I want you to I want you to understand the full format of what God is saying to his disciples and what God inspired to be written to us today. You know, the Bible wasn't written just for the apostles and the and the prophets of the New Testament to, to give them truth so that they could just hold on to it. It was written for us to know so that we could have comfort. If you've been hiding in a hole somewhere, you're maybe not aware that we are dealing with unprecedented levels in America of what's called the cancel culture, And we would call it persecution and oppression. And it doesn't matter if you're a conservative. It doesn't matter if you're a a wrong-thinking liberal. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter who you are. If your mind is not set to go exactly where the socialist and where the mob wants you to go, you will be destroyed and canceled. I don't know that we'll get into it today, but probably next week we're going to talk about those issues. But today, I want to really get into the the promise that Jesus made of things progressing worse and worse as we talk about this. So have your Bibles open, please, to Luke chapter 21, verses 8 through 24. We're going to be in the book of Revelation as well. It is a blessing for us to be able to study the Word of God together and to have assurance about what God says, about what Christ tells us is going to happen. Give me just a moment. i to pull my screen up. So like I said, we're in Luke 21. Now, just for a setting here, our Lord has been for several days speaking the truth for the first time as the true prophet, priest, and king. As the prophet, he is now telling them things that only a true prophet of God would know. But more than that, he's telling them what God knows as the God-man. He's showing his deity. You and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. He doesn't only know it, he decrees it. He doesn't just look down through the corridors of time and decides, oh, I like this event, so let's talk about it. He decrees every moment in time so we can trust that God is sovereign over these events. But not only is he speaking as the prophet, but as the priest, he is proclaiming the truth. And as the king, he is declaring what's going to be in his kingdom. And he is speaking this on what we call Passion Week. This is Wednesday evening on the next day, on Thursday, uh be tomorrow for him, he'll be instituting the Lord's Supper, and then Friday he's going to be the spotless sacrifice as the sacrificial lamb and the high priest who or- offers up the sacrifice. He will willingly, freely give himself up as the perfect spotless, sinless sacrifice and the perfect high priest. But here it's Wednesday, and Jesus is going to display his divine role of prophet. He doesn't say, I had a dream or I had a vision, or God told me. He speaks to them with the authority of God, because he is God. He's outside the temple. He's outside the Jerusalem walls. He's standing with the disciples. He's on top of the mountain or near the top of the Mount Mount of Olives. And he's looking out and he tells them what's going to happen to J- Jerusalem. He's been with them and talking to them about how he is establishing his kingdom, about how he is going to return. And it's, it's so profound for them that over and over he has told them that he's going to die and that he's going to be in distress. And the, that he's going to talk to them about the destruction that, quite frankly, they cannot hear. They can't comprehend that he's going to die. They can't comprehend that the kingdom is not going to come immediately. In fact, in a moment I'll show you where they actually thought to themselves that the kingdom was going to come as soon as he went into the temple. As I told you before, they fully expected from the Old Testament misinterpretation that as soon as they crest over the hill that the kingdom of God would come down, shining lights would go all over the world and they would be the rulers alongside of the Messiah. But they can't comprehend what what Jesus is saying. In another passage, Jesus told them that he was going to Jerusalem. And think about it this way. As he tells them he's going to go die, what happens? The sons of thunder stand in front of Jesus and they want to sit on the right hand and the left hand of His power when His kingdom comes in. And you know how brave they were? They had mommy come and talk to Jesus. They had mommy come and talk to Jesus. Have my sons sit on the right hand and left. He goes, "Your, your sons are going to go through what I've went through, but they're not. They don't have the right to sit on my right and left." They thought that when Jesus got to Jerusalem and established. The temple went in the temple that immediately the persecution would end all this problems and the trials and the disrespect and all the things that were going on with Jerusalem for hundreds of years. They thought all of that would be over and they were ready for it to end. They didn't understand the concept of Jesus Christ bringing in a heavenly kingdom after multiple years, many years, epochs of time. You know, many people today don't understand that concept. They either see see that Christianity has been defeated or that to not believe that we are going to establish the kingdom for Jesus is defeatist. They don't see the victory. They don't see the victory in in the spiritual kingdom of men and women coming to Christ under the gospel. At the same time, the world is living out their wickedness. They don't see that victory there. They don't understand the ultimate victory when God himself steps down and establishes his own kingdom by his own power for his own glory. And we get to say soli deo gloria. To God be the glory alone. He's the only one that did what no man could do. You see, the disciples, they could not process the idea that they were going to be under distress. That there would be deception and destruction that would come all the way up until the end of the Gentiles, the time of the end times. Now, what you have to know about the end times is it's a eschatological term, the end times. You and I, when we think the end times, we think of the actual end. For the scriptures, the end times began at the inauguration of Jesus Christ. Everything from that point until the final day of judgment is the end times. It's kind of like when you talk about the day of the Lord. It's not one set day. We're not talking about the first day of creation. And there was day number one. We're talking about the day of the Lord as an epoch, as as a time of event that takes place in his day. In other words, the day of his power, the day when he comes and establishes and sets up his authority and kingdom. You see... They seem to have accepted by the sheer force of events that Jesus was going to come in and establish his kingdom. But even after he died and rose again, they asked him if he was going to establish his kingdom at that moment. You see, after he died and rose again, they accepted that he was going to die and rise again. They were in absolute torment and turmoil. When he died, weren't they? We'll look at that later on in probably a few months. (laughs) But think they were, they had finally accepted and come to uh, understanding that Jesus was going to die after he died. I mean, think about what Peter did. Peter said, I will never deny you up until the last moment. When he denied it three times, he did not accept the fact that he was going to deny his Lord until it happened. Many people do not accept of the events that are going to take place in the days of the Lord in the end times until they happen. They want to look for a utopia. As if it's okay to believe whatever we want to believe to just think whatever we want to think, and then God will conform to that. Well, that's not what the Bible says. They were looking for a positive outcome, the kingdom to come. Okay, Lord, we've been through your three years of pain and suffering. We've been through the three years of problems. Now it's time to get on with the show. I'm ready for the kingdom. You know, even Daniel thought that after 70 years that the people of Israel would be brought out of all the world and they, all the division they have been under and all the, the judgment they have been under and that the kingdom would be established again. And God had to say, no, it's not just 70 years, but 70 times seven, 490. But then we see 483 and Messiah will be cut off. So anyway, that's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus has been telling the people. It's not what God has been telling the people. We will not usher in God's kingdom for him. We will not do those things that mankind is wont to do. There are people that believe that they are going to establish God's kingdom for him, that the, the gospel is going to progressively take over uh, the culture that it's going to take over the seven mountains, if you will, of entertainment and art. Don't we just love how it's taken over Disney? How it's just taken over and, 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 and everything's becoming more and more Christian, more godly? It's, it's not happening, is it? It's becoming less and less godly. The world is become, becoming more and more antagonistic to Christianity. Globally, globally, we, we're seeing that While the gospel is going forth, people like uh, James Coates, pastor in in, in, uh, Canada, was arrested uh, last Tuesday, I believe it was, for daring to stand up in a pulpit and share the gospel with hundreds of other people who have been sick and tired of not being able to worship the Lord together. They were sick and tired of it. We'll talk more about that next week. But my point is, is there are people that are seeing that they're going to take over government and everything else. They're going to establish the Old Testament laws and the punishments that are going to be put in place. And they're going to force every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. And they're going to cause everyone to come to Christ, whether that's by gospel or by submission. And they're going to come in and they're going to force the whole world into Christianity and it's, uh, I've said it before, this is nothing more than a Christian jihad, that they're going to force people into this kingdom of Christ by hook or by crook. They won't like that I said it that way, but that's what's going to happen. And those people are called post-millennialists. The extremist versions say that every single event in the book of Revelation and everything that could possibly spoke, be spoken of of the end times all happened during 70 AD and onward I want to look at that in just a moment that's not what the Bible says our Lord doesn't give a promised utopia he doesn't have this this high speculation that all these wonderful things are going to happen in the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke we see that it's, Jesus is very pessimistic about what's going to take place up to the time of the lawless one, the Antichrist. And he says what's going to be taking place is going to be distress upon distress, building upon building, more and more distress. Now, if you think that we're going to build the kingdom, why didn't we start with the Roman Catholic Church? If you think we're going to have this Christian utopia all over the world, why didn't it just go perfectly with the Roman Catholic Church? You see, they tried that, and they had to have a pope. They had to have one that was in authority, and he became the vicar of Christ. He called himself, and the, the, the Roman Catholics called him the vicar of Christ. He is the, the living embodiment of Jesus Christ. He is the replacement for Christ, and he is the one that's in authority, and he has the keys. He has the keys to the kingdom, so why not say, let's do that? You already failed once. I don't want to do it again. I don't think it's going to pass that way. The Bible doesn't see it that way either. We see that there's going to be escalated deception and destruction. Apostasy is going to prevail. We're going to talk more about that next week. But today I want to talk about the deception and distress that comes. We can even speak in destruction, talk about destruction that's going to be coming in. But before, you know, before we get there, let's just kind of have a little bit of discussion here. Jesus isn't giving them a promise of victory. He's giving them a call from their immediate future and to a grand view of all future until the age has come to an end. What's called the time of the Gentiles. Ultimately, what's called the day of the Lord, the tribulation when the Antichrist comes and the people of Christ are brought away from this wickedness and destruction. Jesus is telling them what only God can know. The end from the beginning. So that when it happens, everyone who sees and everyone who reads about the events will know that Jesus is God and that his timing is perfect. You see, the disciples, they did not expect tribulation and persecution. They didn't expect it. But they all lived through it. And they lived through it because God did not fail them. Jesus didn't fail them, and he tells all of the people what's going to happen so that they can have assurance that he is in absolute sovereign control. You know, We're seeing Christianity being persecuted all over the world. Martyrs are going all, all over the world, and they have been ever since the time of Christ. That has been the way it's gone on. There are those that would say that the pre-tribulational, dispensational view is a defeatist mentality. But their view sees that the gospel wins. And I soundly reject that point of view. Because we happen to believe that our God does win. You see, this world is bent on evil. Our own children are bent on wickedness. Our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, people we care about are bent on wickedness. And as this world progresses more and more in depravity, we do not see anywhere in the scripture that the people will pull themselves up by the bootstraps and become more and more godly. Actually, we see Romans and and many other passages that tell us they will become less and less godly. And Paul even tells us that there is going to come a great falling away, a great apostasy. Jesus tells us that when he returns, will he even find faith on the earth? Many are going to be called, but few are chosen. But God hasn't lost control. He hasn't lost, he hasn't conceded the victory to to Satan and said, okay, you've won. While Satan runs around like a roaring lion, God is still the one that holds him on the leash. But we're not finished. the kingdom for God. The 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, it tells us that even the Reformers believed that the Pope was that Antichrist. Not the specific Pope today, but the Pope, the title, the name, the person, would be the Antichrist, the one that comes out of the mother of harlots, the Roman Catholic Church on the days that these events take place. We happen to believe that Jesus wins and all of the elect of God will be brought with him and he will not lose anyone that is in his charge, anyone that he has died for. He wins everyone. He will not lose any of them because that we are in his hand and we are in God the Father's hand as well. We've been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and that is what we believe. We happen to believe in God's sovereign work of election. But we also believe that there's going to be distress and persecution and suffering and God wins. Did I say that already? God wins. Do you believe it? God wins. Let me say it one more time, just so you know it. God wins. The reason that you need to know that is because Jesus tells the disciples that in the midst of God winning, There's going to be distress. There's going to be deception, distress, and disasters. Open your Bible to Luke, chapter 21. You notice it's not on the screen, right? You have a job to do, and that's open your Bibles to Luke, chapter 21, where we're in verse 8 through 24. And he said, see to it that you are not misled. That's the deception. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not immediately follow. He continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will, they will lay their hands upon you and they will persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and bring you before the, and the prisons and bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Listen to verse 13. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or to refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains and those who are in the midst of the city must leave and those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. For they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Pray with me real quick. Dear Lord God in heaven, there's a lot here. And God, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts so that we would know it. Glorify yourself this day so that we can understand your word that we can be prepared for what will take place in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord, amen. So if you gather a composite of Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke here in this passage, you'll see that Jesus is not simply speaking of an event that took place about in 70 AD. This is a a stretch throughout time. He begins right where they are, and he tells them, about the distress and destruction and people that are going to be martyred and murdered throughout history, and then culminating to a final event where the world stage will be set as an enemy against the people of Israel. But at this moment, we are seeing the times of the Gentiles. Matthew 24, for example. This is a fuller expression of Luke. Luke is a more condensed, but Matthew 24 says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying to him, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they don't just want to know, Lord, what's going to happen to the temple? They're not just asking about the temple. They're asking the questions. Tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And what is the end of the age? If you look in uh, Mark 13, uh, three through six, and he was sitting on the Mount of Olives and it was four disciples, Peter and James and John and Andrew, who were asking him these questions. Uh, they were asking the, these uh, three separate questions on behalf of the others, most likely, because they were the ones that had, you know, the sons of thunder and Peter. They were all the ones that were always asking the big questions. They're speaking on behalf of, of a genuinely shocked group. They had thought that Jesus had suffered enough. He's going to establish his kingdom. As I keep telling you, they were ready to rule and reign with him immediately. But Jesus had to explain to them what was going to happen and what they could look forward to. Did you know that Jesus even told Peter how he was going to die? He told him when you're an old man, You're going to be taken where you do not want to be taken as an old man. And Jesus told him how he was going to die. So they asked, he asked, I'm sorry. They asked three questions. When will these things happen? So they're asking, when will the temple be destroyed? That's one. Then they asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? Since they realize now he's going away, according to what he's saying, and that he's going to come back. Not just that he's going away, but he's going to come back. And thirdly, what will be the sign of the end of the age? You see, when they say, what will be the sign of your coming? They're not asking, Lord, you said that you're going to raise in three days. They're saying, what's going to be the sign of your ultimate coming in victory? We expected you to come as the king, as the conqueror. We expected you come this way. We've been told this by the apostle. I mean, I'm sorry, by the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they've read this over and over and over again for for generations. And you say that they've got it wrong. Please tell us the truth. What is going to happen? Because they didn't expect what he's saying. This opens the door for the longest answer that Jesus has given to any one question. Because it's important. Now, you may say, "I I don't agree. Well, that doesn't necessarily change your salvation, does it? That doesn't necessarily say that you're not saved if you don't believe me or believe this, what we're saying here, or you say, Oh, I don't agree with this situation. But there are those who have said, Since you hold to this, you're not a Christian. Since you hold to the end times view that the Lord's going to return and establish his own kingdom for himself, you're not a Christian. I've been told that I'm a heretic for believing what the Bible teaches. That's okay. I'll answer my God. He opens the door up because it's important. It's important for you and I to know that God's in control. It's important that we have a blessed hope and we don't look around and see the mob of people that are going to drive this once professing Christian nation into the ground and feel hopeless. We need to have a a stable to stand on. And it's not, you know I'm, I'm sorry, but it's not God bless America. It's not my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty anymore. It's not the Star-Spangled Banner anymore. It's not, you know, all the things of of America and Americana anymore. It never was, but we put our faith and our hope and and, and in the kindness of America, and we as Americans would stand up. That doesn't happen anymore. If you don't believe in the culture, you're one right to be destroyed. And cultural Christianity was the worst invention of big Eva that's ever come around. Cultural Christianity was what has caused so much destruction and pain in this, in this country, bringing in false doctrine and false teaching and easy, easy believism, easy Christianity. Just ask Jesus into your heart. You love Jesus, don't you? You saved, ain't you? Remember that? Guys, cultural Christianity is what has been that has hurt our nation and caused us to walk down this path of depravity. Make sure that when you're reading Luke 21, you don't forget about Matthew. Read it in parallel, alongside. And just a piece of what we're told in Matthew and Mark, just a little bit of that, I want you to really focus on this. In all three of them, you hear this. And Jesus answered them and said, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I am he, and they will mislead many. He goes on to say, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see to it that you are not frightened for those things must take place. Listen to what he says. But that is not yet the end. This is not 70 AD. This is not all of it's going to happen here and then everything's done over with. And then an age of utopia. You know, the millennial kingdom, there's the amillennial and the post millennial and the premillennial. Just so you know, millennium comes from the, the book of Revelation and other passages that talk about that God is going to set up a thousand years. That's the millennium. That's what it means. A thousand year kingdom on earth. And he says it over and over and over again for reassurance. And there are so many people that say, oh, that doesn't mean that. A ah, millennialist to say says ah, that means no or not. Ah, ah, it's kind of like the atheist. Ah, you have to presuppose theism, have to start with theism to be an atheist. Ah, and guess what? You have to start with a millennium before you can say it's not there. So, where do we get the idea of a millennium? From God, from the Bible, from his divine word. And we have to reject that. We have to reject it and say, well, it's spiritual and it just means a long, long time. The post-millennialist would say that what, what we've been saying is there is a millennium, but it's more allegorical. It's more, it's not a, an actual millennium. The premillennialist will say, no, it's real. And God has a plan and God has a future and God's going to establish his kingdom by his own might and power. And the Bible tells us, don't let, don't be misled. These things are going to happen, but when all of these start to happen, that's not the end. He is building up to the time of the millennium. We haven't even gotten there yet. Luke 19, 11, The disciples thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear. I keep saying that because people don't believe it. People don't understand that. And he's giving them this warning over and over again that they're wrong. The kingdom was not to come right away. He says in verse 8 in Matthew, see to it that you're not misled. In Luke, see to it that you're not misled, because many will come in my name saying, I am he. He being God, Christ, the Messiah. In Matthew 24, so they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness. Do not go after them. Behold, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. He's hiding somewhere. He's under a bed. He's under a pillow. I have him over at my conference. Benny Hinn actually said that that, uh, Jesus was going to appear at a conference. And then he said, oh, he did. He was in the light. Benny Hinn actually said that. So many false prophets and false messiahs that call themselves apostles, they make the case that Jesus has come. But the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 27, And just as lightning comes from the east and flashes into the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, it will be an event that the whole world will see. And this is talking about the return of the Lord. The kingdom was not coming the way that they thought. And Jesus warned them to know that there's going to be massive deception. And he was specific that in the deception, it would be spiritual anti-religious, anti-Christ deception. Another Christ would come in, many others. I believe it was uh, Josephus that said there was a, 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 a new Christ popped up every day in the, from the time of Christ all the way up to, through Josephus. <clears throat> false prophets, false teachers, false messiahs, liars, and deceivers saying that Christ hadn't come or he'd come in a different way. And in Luke he tells us to be assured it's going to happen but not to be misled by their lies. Many are going to come and still today many false messiahs come. Constantly coming, saying that the life, death and resurrection of Christ was was something totally different. They're going to come one after another, constantly claiming that the one that was in Jerusalem, that one that said I am he, that he, the Messiah the God-man that said, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that he was a liar. You know, today, the New Age movement, Rob Bell and uh, Oprah Winfrey, even Deepak Chopra, Chopra talks about the Christ consciousness and tells us that, that Christ is not a figure, a person, but a spiritual consciousness that mankind can produce by their own goodness and in their good works. They make their own ways to heaven. That is, we're going to continue to see false messiahs and antichrists, the spirit of antichrist in this world, up until what uh, Daniel talks about with the willful king. And we're going to look probably in a few weeks about the antichrist and his his coming into the Power. Listen to Matthew twenty four twenty six. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not, do not go out. I just read that. Somebody tells you that Jesus was found in this place or that place. Don't go that way. You see, Jesus doesn't return quietly. He doesn't re- return privately. When he steps foot on the Mount of Olives, he splits it in half. When he steps foot in this world, it'll be like lightning. Think about what he says here in verse twenty-seven. For just as lightning comes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What does that mean? When you when you hear light, hear thunder and see lightning, you can you you know it's happening, don't you? It's obvious. It's right in front of you. Um, when the, where the corpse is, the vultures are gathered. How do you know that there's a, a big dead animal down here, Wyatt? How do you know that there's a big dead animal uh, right down here on, in the middle of the road or somewhere? Like we see deer get hit all the time. How do you know they're there? Because eventually there's a bunch of vultures, and a bunch of birds that are flying around. You know, in the book of, book of Revelation says there will be a feast for the birds at the death and destruction that comes at the time of the end during the time of the great tribulation. That's not happened like this yet. Let's go a little further. The people were so distressed at the time of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, in 1 Thessalonians, let's say, they were so distressed because people had come and told them that they missed it, that the Lord had already returned, the resurrection had happened, they had all you know, been taken up to heaven, and so they missed it. Listen what he says to them. Now, as the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need that anyone write to you. For you yourselves full well know that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains. That idea of birth pains is throughout the Bible. That tells us it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow, starting with the time of Christ. He says this is not the end; this is just the beginning. Now I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little bit of John MacArthur. He talks about Braxton Hicks and everybody died laughing and talking about Braxton Hicks contractions. Let me tell you, when those things start, they're not they're, you think it's real; it's happening. Then they'll they'll come and they'll go. They'll come and they'll go, ebb and flow, until you get to the point where that baby's coming. And that's what he says here. This is the birth pains. These are just the beginning of the labor pains upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape. When it comes and it happens, it will happen suddenly, just like the birth of a child, just like that lightning that passes from east to west. If I had one admonition for you, it would be do not lose your hope. The times of distress that are coming, Our God is sovereign over, and it's not a surprise to him. It takes time to go through this understanding of the end times because there's so much to unpack. Maybe we can get through a little bit more and talk about some things as we get through this introduction. I just want to touch on a few things if I can quickly. You will hear wars and rumors of wars or disturbances, but do not be terrified, Luke 21, 9. For these things must take place, but the end does not follow immediately. He's saying, This I'm not saying to you that there's going to be fights and wars and things going on immediately, and that's it. Speaking to the disciples, he tells them that there is indeed coming distress and an escalation of distress. Now, now think about it this way: when you hear of wars, that's talking about the fact that immediately you've heard of something going on, an escalation of a battle. And then rumors of wars is a multitude of battles. I've heard there's a fight going on here. There's a war going on here. There's a destruction going on here. There's good dictators going on over here. And it's it's more than just one. It's not just the 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 attack of Rome against against uh, Israel, but it goes prolifically everywhere. To prove that point, in verse ten, he says, "Then he continued to say to them, Nation will rise against nation." and kingdom against kingdom. You're going to have more and more and more destruction, not just 70 A.D., but more and more and more destruction going on. You know, in 70, uh, and actually in 168, there was a man uh, uh, by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was the king of Syria. He invaded Jerusalem in 168 B.C. He desecrated the temple with with blood. He um, destroyed a lot of the temple. He did a lot of this desecration. And this was a preview of what's going to take place at the great abomination of desolations that's spoken of in the book of Daniel by the lawless one, the man of sin, the one that would be the willful king that would come in. And we know it's not the same thing because the willful king in Daniel establishes a seven-year peace treaty, a seven-year covenant with Israel. And after three and a half years, he breaks that covenant and goes to attack Israel. And that is not what took place during the time of Antiochus. Antiochus was, was at the end of his, his rule. He was almost completely finished with his rule. And he went after the people of Israel to attack Israel even further. Not, not to, And this was during the... The, the outstretch of the diaspora that Peter spoke about, uh, as he talked about from Nero up through, and he didn't go up through Antio- Antiochus, but he talked about the fact that God was dispersing the Israelite people all around the world. Jesus stretches through time, and he explains that there is going to be an endless succession of, and buildup of nations and kingdoms, not just warring against Israel, but warring with each other and trying to fight for their own kingdom. John MacArthur said that the ebb and flow of history is war. He said that the only time that you see peace in in the story of history is when everybody stops to reload. I thought that was pretty funny. And we see that history is filled with more and more wars as we get closer to the 20th century. From the first advent to the second, There's a buildup of immorality, deception, distress, and destruction, plagues, pestilences, right up to the time of Christ. The book of Revelation 6 through 19 lays out for us clear detail of the events that are going to take place during the seven years of of the uh, tribulation. It Lays it out for us that while all of the things that we see going on, it will be at its crescendo, its highest point, when Christ takes the bridegroom. Now, you don't see the the rapture of the church in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in these sections because that's not the focus. The focus of the rapture takes place as Jesus himself tells Paul, and Paul explains to the people as Peter and Paul and the others, or John, are, are explaining to the people about the things that are going to go on during the end. Until that time, we see the rise of nations, who are bent on destroying one another and the rise of natural disasters, verse 11. And there'll be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines. And there'll be terrors, signs and wonders, great signs and wonders from heaven. If you're able to download a PDF of the Encyclopedia of Wars, I did that and uh, started looking through them. We got over 5,000 entries. I didn't look through all of them, that's a lot. Uh, there's all kinds of encyclopedias. There's so many that talk about the history of wars. And uh, there's reported to have been over a thousand wars from around uh, 500 BC to today. <clears throat> um, that's a lot. Now John MacArthur re- records this before the time of Jesus Christ, he said historians record 70 significant wars. Now, there were thousands of wars, but he's talking about the big ones, not just re- rebels, clashes and battles, conflicts and things like that. Uh, he says those go on all the time. And in this encyclopedia of war, it's, it is in there. But he says that there are 70 recorded uh, wars before Christ that were major. In the 1,000 years after Christ, there's 50 wars. 50 wars in a 1,000 years, then 500 wars. I'm sorry, then 500 years after that, there's another 100 wars. 300 uh, years later, there's 250 wars. And in the last 200 years, he says there's 500 wars. I don't know what the escalation is from, from that point on, but I know it's been getting worse and worse. We see an escalation throughout history. And just as the uh, book of Romans chapter one and the Fox's book of martyr talks to us and, and you can read that online for free, the, uh, both the books, Romans one and the Fox's book of martyrs. But we see that the population has grown more and more wicked and the tools of death and destruction have become worse and worse. You guys remember what happened during 9-11? America went to war after that against terror, and it seems like we were defeated. It seems like all over the place under uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, whether you like him or not, this the truth is the truth. The Arab Spring came up, and ISIS, uh, Obama called them ISIL. The Levant was everything from the door of Israel all the way across to the um, the rivers of Iran and Iraq, and he said that they owned all of it. That's what he was speaking of when he talked about ISIS. Islamic State was everywhere, according to him. He said that it that we saw it rise up and there was just nothing we could do. We couldn't stop it. For the past four years, whether you like Trump or not, for the past four years, there's been unprecedented uh, normalization of relationships between Israel and the other Arab nations and the Arab nations not the other but the Arab nations around unprecedented peace has been coming all over the the the, the Arab nations with Israel and now we're beginning to see already that there's being a return to war set war mindset and hatred and, and a desire to murder and kill we saw uh, many several years ago that there was videos on YouTube, of people being martyred for the name of Christ because they would not submit to Islam, they would not surrender, and they were publicly being uh, uh, beheaded and, and burned, uh, that they were being thrown off rooftops for homosexuality and, and for you know, any form of depravity, they'd throw them off the rooftops. The wickedness of humanity progresses worse and worse. You know, right now we have enough bombs to destroy them every inch of this entire planet. All this is nothing compared to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. Just of note for you, Justin Martyr in 168 AD, he said, Otherwise, I and others who are right-minded Christians at all points are assured that there will be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in Jerusalem, the man of apostasy shall come and do unlawful deeds against us, the Christians. He wasn't talking about himself, was he, in 165 AD? He was saying that there was going to be a man of lawlessness that would come, that right-minded Christians know that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead, that there will be a millennial kingdom in in Jerusalem. The man of apostasy will will come and he will do all types of unlawful things against the Christians, not just Israel. Real quickly, in the book of Revelation, it gives us a warning and a depiction of the events that are going to take place at the end. But I want you to hear you talk about wars and destruction, chapter two, uh, chapter six, verse two through four. And I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, this is the the antichrist, and a crown was given to him, and he went out to conquer, conquering and to conquer. and when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, "Come, and another red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth and that men would slay one another with a great sword that was given to him. If you jump to Revelation 9, 15, and the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. So not only do you have people warring together, but that you have the mankind being destroyed by the angels and the armies of the angels. Verse sixteen says the number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. Now some people say that that is the um, the Chinese people that they gather an army of two hundred million, and other people say that is that is uh, demonic forces. Don't know which one it is. It's not important which one it is. What it's important is two hundred million enemies. Uh, are going to come in a battle that will destroy more than a third of mankind. And that's just a brief look at the warnings of the coming of war. Just quickly showing that within just a few words, we see an escalation of thousands of people being being killed to now. We see millions, one third of humanity during, during this battle, this, this conflagration of, of war. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John at the island of Patmos in 46 to 49, 94 to 96 A.D., uh, close to the end of Domitian's reign. And it was attested to by Irenaeus in the second century and many others like that talked about the things that were going to be going on. And it was declared that Revelation was written during the end of Domitian's reign. So we would have an assurance from history of when it was written. John MacArthur in his commentaries, if you have his commentaries, you can read along with me. It says that uh, later writers such as Clement of Alexander and Origen, Victorianus, that he wrote the earliest commentaries on, on Revelation. Eusebius and Jerome, they all say that it was written during the time of Domitian. Now, why is that important? Because there are people that will say the book of Revelation was fulfilled in 70 AD or about that time. If you go back to Luke, we hear that not only is there going to be an escalation of war and a promise of future war, but there's also going to be disasters that Jesus promises will take place before his return. There's going to be an escalation of these things and it's going to culminate in the ultimate of disasters. Well, it's, we've been an hour into this and we just started. Let me ask you a question How important is this? How important is it? You see, I think it's very important that you know what the future is and that you have hope. Whether you live through this or not, We are experiencing as Christians persecution this very day. All around the world. If you get on certain media today and you say certain things, you will be censored. You you can be fired for speaking out against homosexuality, against sexual immorality, pedophilia, transgenderism. Did you know that if you speak out today in certain venues against men dressing up as little girls, and going into little girls' bathrooms that you can be censored, you can be fired, you can be persecuted by the mobs of people. We didn't see this 30 years ago. We didn't see this 25 years ago. We're seeing this today, and it's going to get worse and worse. Our hope is not in this nation, or our hope is not in the government. Our hope is in Christ we can have steadfast assurance that we can continue on as the people of God by the will of God to the glory of God. Whatever you do, tell somebody. Share the gospel with somebody. Because if this is important, if Jesus is going to come back, how should you live? If you're going to stand before Almighty God, what should your life be like? If this is true and God is going to reign sovereignly on the throne and you will be standing in front of him one day and judged by him, what type of people should we be? Should we be more holy or less holy? Should we be more interested in the things of God, more into the word of God, studying to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, or more interested in Facebook and social media and Twitter and hashtags and cancel culture and every other thing? How should we live? We didn't get as far as I thought we would, but next week, if you want to find out what's coming, tune in and you will see A lot of information. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to come before you to glorify your holy name. Lord, we want to exalt you. We want to magnify you, Lord. Lord God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we trust that you're in your sovereign hand, Lord, that you know what you will do, and you've decreed it so that And you've actually spoken it and told us so that we will know. We don't have to push out things for a thousand more years. We don't have to push out things and wonder what's going to happen. We know that at the end of time, Lord, before you return, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. That it's going to just progress and get worse. And the time of Lot and we're beginning to see those things but the ultimate culmination Lord we know will come with the antichrist in the seven years of great tribulation we know the purpose that you have at the end of the time of the gentiles when when I, the 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 power and the the freedom of authority that you've given to the gentiles when that ends when you Lord begin to specifically work against the wickedness of this world visibly, powerfully. Lord, work through us in the gospel of Christ. Work us so that we may be able to endure the things that will come. We ask you to glorify yourself this day in Christ. Let me pray, Lord, amen.